0: Hey church, uh, look it's been a tough couple of weeks and uh, seems to have gotten tougher. Just want to say how much uh, we must miss each other. I certainly have missed all of you, all, all of the pastors here really uh, miss seeing you together. It's it's strange preaching to a camera rather than to pews that are full and we really miss seeing everyone. It's, uh, it heightens it when we see those pre-recorded um, uh, worship songs and you know I just think oh gosh I really miss those guys um, whether it's Sally or Becky or or Erica or Andrew and all those involved Matt Chong. Um, yeah so it's, it's not easy. Um, uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, we are praying for you. We love you and uh, we can't wait to get out of lockdown but that will take all of us um, working hard to um, follow these restrictions. So let's do it for the sake of loving our neighbors, all right, and for the sake of loving each other. Okay, let's get started. In 1970, uh, there was a famous uh, psych experiment you probably have heard of. it. It's called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. 32 children were offered one marshmallow now, or if they could wait 15 minutes, they would get two. Now, you probably have heard of the experiment, but What I didn't know is this. um, The marshmallow was actually placed in front of each of the children. They were done one by one, so it was not like 32 in a group. But they placed it in front of the children during the 15 minutes. So they had that marshmallow, and they had to resist eating the marshmallow. And then what they did during that time of waiting, um, the adult left the room, and they observed them on camera. And this is what the report said. It said, some children covered their eyes with their hands, rested their heads on their arms, and found other similar techniques for averting their eyes from the reward objects. Many seemed to try to reduce the frustration of delay of reward by generating their own diversions. They talked to themselves, they sang, they invented games with their hands and feet, and even tried to fall asleep while waiting, as one successfully did. I'm sure all of us will know that one guy who would have fallen asleep in 15 minutes just to avoid looking at the marshmallow. Um, and, of course, the experiment, you might know, is, um, is all about delayed gratification, right? Delayed gratification. Sorry, that was uh, my picture for the marshmallow experiment. Um, children who were able to wait longer for the better rewards, right, they tended to have better life outcomes as they tracked them over the years. So measured by things like um, SAT or what we call it, HSC, um, educational attainment, even, you know, body mass index. I don't know why that's an outcome. But anyway, other life measures, they all pretty much did better. That was the experiment. How are you, I wonder, at waiting? How are you at delayed gratification? Especially now, I mean, lockdown. How are you going at, at waiting for that to end? Uh, if you're anything like me, then it's, oh gosh, it's it's easy to become unmotivated, right? It's easy to become lazy and selfish during this pandemic, during the last Over a year, but especially as we're in lockdown again. Now, you know, your studies and your job, that's one thing because you have to do them. But I wonder how you're going with your Christian life during this pandemic. How's your passion for serving the Lord? How's your personal Bible reading and prayer, which which actually presumably you have more time for now? How's personal evangelism? How's even church attendance, whether it's in person or online, has all of those things taken a toll? Well, if the answer is yes or any of those, well, this parable, this sting in the tail is particularly going to sting for us. You see, all of life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is waiting, isn't it? And Jesus is saying how we wait matters. So let me pray that God may speak to us. Father, please speak to us. Speak to your people, especially for us at this time when it's so much waiting even in the here and now because of COVID, but it really is. Even for us, just an illustration of, of what the Christian life is. It's waiting. It's not being home yet. It's living as foreigners and exiles as your people, you know, in a strange land. Help us to wait well and speak to us, rebuke us, change us. Things that need to be changed today, I pray that you will speak into every heart, listening in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, three simple points you can follow on your outlines, uh, your digital outlines or on the screen. Um, So firstly, the master and his servants. This parable you need to know in context uh, comes as a series of parables from Matthew 24 and 25, and they all have the same big idea or the same setting. That is, the followers of Jesus, you have to wait. All right? Uh, A bit of context. Um, At the end of chapter 24, you've got the first of these parables. It's called the parable of the faithful servant. This one is Pretty similar to the one we're looking at. It's almost a template for all of the other parables to follow. Uh, Then in the first half of uh, chapter 25, the one just before this, we've got the parable of the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. Again, waiting. And then we've got this one, the parable of the bags of gold. Uh, So the characters in this one, you've got one master, and that's clearly Jesus. You've got three servants, and that's pretty obvious. It's going to be Jesus' followers. It's very applicable to us. The setting. Let's have a uh, read again at those first few verses. Verse, uh, verse fourteen. Verse fourteen. It says again, it and by Jesus, uh, by this Jesus means the kingdom of heaven. Okay, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. All right, the master is going away on, it says, a long journey. He's gone for a long time. This is not 15 minutes of a marshmallow experiment. This may have been years. This may have been decades. And he calls his servants, or literally slaves, to him, and he gives them a charge. He gives them a responsibility. Now, they are slaves. Okay, that's the original word. Important to remember because they're not employees, uh, they, they don't have a choice in the matter. They belong to their master and they work for their master. Now, by the way, Jesus is not condoning slavery, but he's using a familiar experience of the world that he came from. Okay, so they would all understand. Uh, it's important to also know that slavery in the ancient world has slightly different tint to the slavery that you might think of, you know, when it comes to uh, America pre-Civil War. Um, some were actually given lots of responsibilities. They were more like household managers. Some even helped to run businesses that the master had. And many of those were paid. I mean, they didn't have to be paid, but good masters might decide to pay them. And we know that because a lot of slaves could buy their way out of slavery later on in life. So the master, he gives them each an amount of gold, and it's very clear from the rest of the parable that he wanted them to do something with that gold and it's understandable once you understand how much gold he gave them. Now, literally, uh, sorry, the, the English translation in our NRV in our 2011 says bag of gold. All the translations, and literally it's the word talent, he gave them talents one, five talents of gold, another two talents, another one talent. Now, what's a talent? A talent is actually a weight measurement, each talent is about 30 to 40 kilograms. Now, we're unsure of exactly how much money that is just from the weight measurement because it depends on what a talent is. Like, is it a talent of silver? That would be different to a talent of gold, right? 30 kilograms of silver is different to 30 kilograms of gold. But what we do know is this. One denarius, which is a a unit of, of money, one denarius was one standard laborer's wage for the whole day. So if you work a whole day, you would get a denarius. And... A talent was 6,000 denarii. Okay? So one denarius, one day wage, a talent, 6,000 days wages. For those that are not as quick as um, others, uh, that means it's about 20 years. Of, of, of a person's wage, of a standard wage. Now, let's just work that out in Australia. In Australia, the average salary is something like, I just looked it up this morning, $60,000 a year. One talent, by that measurement, 20 years, would be $1.2 million. $1.2 million. That's a lot of money. When you're given that much money as a slave, obviously, you're expected to do something with it. Now, that's going to be immediately applicable before we move on, right? Like if the master is Jesus and all of his followers, we are, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, most of you, if we're the servants, then the message from this parable and the ones that just came before it is pretty clear, isn't it? It's a long wait. And how you wait really matters. You see, right before these series of parables, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's coming towards the end of his ministry. He's going to die in Jerusalem. And he's just looked at the temple precincts and he's talked about what the end will be like. That's Matthew 24. You don't have to look it up. But he says that um, when he comes in judgment, all right, these things are going to happen. Now, obviously, all this talk about coming in judgment, his disciples are getting pretty excited. And the natural question they would have is, when's this going to happen? A lot of them thought it was going to happen straight away. Because finally, Israel's Messiah, their master, would be revealed in power And we, his followers, will be rewarded rather than reviled. That's a great thing to look forward to. And yes, there would be a time of terrible suffering. Jesus talked about that. But eventually it would lead to glory. So they want to know when. right? When is this going to happen, Lord? Well, this is how Jesus ends that talk about his coming. Have a look with me on the passage there. He says in Matthew 24, Therefore keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and wouldn't have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man, that's he, will come at an hour you do not expect him. What's he saying? He will come, but not yet. He will come, but you're going to have to wait. He will come, and when he does come, you're not going to expect when he comes. So you better wait well. And the Bible, not only here, the Bible all throughout gives us two pictures of waiting, doesn't it? I mean, there are those who wait well and they get busy waiting well. And we'll see that in the first two servants. But then there are those who won't wait well. It'll be the let's eat and drink and be merry and indulge in our pleasures. You see how high the stakes are, right? Whether you wait well or whether you don't wait well. It doesn't save you, but it certainly reveals whether you've been saved. We'll see that in a moment from this parable. It reveals whether you are a saved person. And here it is, friends, like it's been 2,000 years, hasn't it, since Jesus rose again and went back to heaven and said he was coming back again. It's been a long wait, not just for us we haven't been living 2,000 years, obviously for all of his people, the last2,000, it's been a long wait. But I reckon it's more dangerous for us than for perhaps any other Christians at any other time. Because we, compared with all Christians at other places in the world now, and especially during history, we are so much more comfortable, aren't we? It's so much easier to be worldly. And let's admit it, our culture, our generation, those my age and younger especially, we're not so good at waiting. We're terrible at delayed gratification. We live in a world where I can order something on Amazon and it will come tomorrow. That's crazy, right? Well, our master has been gone a long time. And if you and I live like he's never coming back, then I hope today is going to be a huge wake-up call. It certainly was for me as I was preparing this. All right, that's the first point. Let's go to the next one. The servants and the talents. All right, so three servants, but you, you get two of them in the same group, the first two. So, really, they're kind of like one character. Uh, verse 16 the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So, also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Now, I want you to notice these servants' eagerness. The master leaves. What did they do? It says they went at once and put his money to work. They didn't wait, they went at once. Now, what kind of work would we have been talking about Is it's putting this money to work? It, it was not for them to try to make a quick buck, okay? They didn't invest in cryptocurrency or sports bets. That's not what's going on. Right, we've got millions of dollars here, but they couldn't just buy shares, right, in someone else's you know, company. And, you know, not in those days you couldn't do that. So, with this amount, what's reasonable and conceivable is they would have had to probably buy lots of small businesses, do the research, figure out which ones to buy that can turn a profit. Or maybe they would have started lots of small businesses themselves. That was the kind of age that they lived in, which meant that they would have had to employ people, probably. They would have had to negotiate contracts with tradespeople. And some of these companies may have failed because it was risky, right? In every situation, there was a risk. And probably some of their investments did. But others, if they did their due diligence, would have grown, it would have made them money. All right, that's what the first two servants would have done. And what the results are we read before, they double their master's money. The first servant got equivalent of six million bucks, he made it six million dollars more. The second, 2.4 million dollars, he made $2.4 million more. And of course, that's in contrast to the third guy, right? The third servant. Verse 18. But the man who had received one bag, still $1.2 million, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. How long would it have taken to dig a hole and put money in? It would have taken, at best, a few hours. A few hours work. Put the money in. Presumably, the rest of his time, now he can enjoy himself as a masterless slave for the next few years or decades. Right? It's like the school kids when your teacher's away and you've got like a relief teacher, it's like freedom. Okay, this is what he's thinking. spend a few hours work, put the money away, at least I haven't lost it, I'm not stealing it. Now I can enjoy myself. And that's such a huge, huge contrast with the first two, right? So clearly this guy's lazy and he is clearly squandering his opportunities and privileges. I mean, if the master wanted him to do that, he could have done it himself. I mean, he probably would have ordered the slaves to do it. Could have done it in a couple of hours before he left. He clearly had a number of slaves. He could have gotten four slaves together to dig a hole. Would have taken less than an hour.' You're like, do you see what I mean? You see, the message to us is very clear, isn't it? Again, the master is Jesus, we are the slaves. How are we going to, how are we going to use? what Jesus has entrusted us with. Uh, But wait here, we haven't really talked about what that is, okay? I mean, what what has Jesus entrusted with us? Um, So let's come to that word talent. Um, Remember, the bag of gold in other translations originally is the word talent. Now, here's the thing. Um, The English Bible has influenced the English language. See, the word here, talent, became the basis for our usual way of Understanding the word talent. Did, did you know that? That, that the English word talent that we usually use um, came from this parable, the English translation of this word? And so we we naturally will think, well, what what God has given us here is, is talents. So that means God-given abilities, stuff that you're usually born with. Um, maybe for you, you're really musical, or you're really academic, or you're really sporty, or maybe you're really good with people, or good with numbers, you're good with money. I don't know. Those are your natural abilities. Some people are born with more, others with less. We all know that. You know, not all of us have Ash Barty on the, uh, the uh, tennis courts and good on her for winning Wimbledon. But whether you've got a lot or a little in terms of talents and abilities, you're to use them well. Now, is that what the parable is getting at? How are you using your God-given talents and abilities? Well, the answer is mm, sort of, but not quite. Okay, um, And the reason is this. The reason that talent here isn't just abilities is, did you notice verse 15? Notice the master gives his servants different amounts, each according to his ability. Right? The, the talent can't just mean natural abilities because how much you're given is indexed to your abilities. You see, they, they're kind of separate things. So I think it's best to see each talent as representing more than just your talents and abilities. I think it may include those natural abilities, certainly. And it definitely, I think, should include our money, financial resources. Because remember, Jesus' hearers would not have thought immediately talent equals abilities. They would have thought talent equals money, okay? But even that is too restrictive. I think we've got to go wider than that. I think what this means is everything. Everything that we have at our disposal, whether it's tangible or not, everything that God gives us to use for His glory Which would include things like time, and youth, and energy, and in relationships. And of course, the opportunities you're given, like education, kind of families you're born in, your job, all those kind of things. See, we've all been given a different set of these resources by God. Now, some have heaps and heaps of them. Others have very little. I think of a godly lady, Jill, that I used to go to church with, with a pretty advanced MS, multiple sclerosis. And she came to church, had needed help, wheelchair. And during church, she would actually have to lie down at the back of church on a portable bed that she brought along. She couldn't do much. But boy, you know, Jill was so godly. She was so joyful. She would have a smile on her face. And she was a prayer warrior like no other. But let's not talk about Jill, let's talk about you. You see, every stage of life, and we all have, we have all these different stages of life, don't we, at SWEC? We're blessed in that way. Guess what? Every stage of life, no matter what stage of life you're in now, presents a set of opportunity and resources that you've been given. And yes, they do change from one stage of life to another, but I want to highlight that. I want you to ask yourself, how are you putting your stage of life and the opportunities that you generally have in your stage of life to work? for the Lord Jesus, while you wait for His return. So let let me give you some examples. Um, Are you a student, whether you're a high school student or maybe a tertiary student, uni or TAFE? Guess what? Your greatest resource is energy and time. And yes, you have fewer responsibilities. You really do. You can do so much with that. If you're ever in doubt, just look at the Rice Movement. That's a movement run by high schoolers and university students, and there's so much creativity and energy, so much there that you could do. What about you if you're a young worker, you're in the first five, five or so years of working? Now you have a little less time than before, but guess what? You do have fewer responsibilities because you're probably living at home and you still have more time than others. You really do you also have the youth and energy and much more disposable income. What about if you're a single? You're not married, perhaps not even dating, at whatever stage of life. Now, I want to be sensitive here because I know it can be hard, especially for the older singles. It can be really hard to wait. And here I'm not just talking about waiting for Jesus' return, but waiting to, you know, perhaps meet your future spouse. Can I suggest, though, and I want to do this sensitively, But can I suggest that the second kind of waiting, waiting for a spouse to come along, can actually derail your first kind of waiting, waiting for Jesus to return. It's so easy to just want to put your life on hold until that person comes along and do nothing. But if you're a single at whatever age or stage of life, all you have to do is to look at your married friends, and especially your friends, your peers probably with young kids or kids at any stage, and just ask yourself, what do you have that they don't have? Lots. What can you do with your stage of life as a single person to make the most of it, right? I'm sure you know the answer to that. What if you're married, but you haven't got kids yet, or you don't have kids, God hasn't blessed you with kids, or you have your home, probably, you have a double income, that's incredible, right? Those are great things to, resources to bless others with. Or well, those of you who are married with kids, and of course, we're growing in that age of stage of life with that swec. right, you have less time now, but your children, guess what, are your greatest resource. They're your greatest responsibility, and you have an opportunity to raise these ones, these young ones or older ones, to love and serve Jesus, and you don't get long. And I'm realizing that because one of my kids is now about to turn 18. You don't get long, right? And so more important than their academic success or their financial success and security is their spiritual growth. Are you investing in that? Are you helping them grow? Are you leading your families well? And guess what? Now that you have probably finally some age and wisdom, you can actually start being helpful to those younger than you. And there's plenty of people younger than you, aren't there? What about those who are a little bit older? Maybe you're an empty or Your kids have all grown up. Or maybe they haven't moved out yet, but they're still, you know, but they're adults. Or maybe you're nearing retirement or have already retired. Guess what? Well, you suddenly have the time and more more disposable income that you didn't have for all those years. Now, while you don't have the energy and youthfulness like before, you do have so much wisdom and experience, and that is such a great resource. Because Sweck, let's be honest, has fewer of you and more of those younger than you. And your wisdom and your leadership and your time with those to disciple them, right, is so precious. And you will probably have decades left before the Lord calls you to glory. So please, do not spend your golden years just collecting seashells, as Pastor John Piper would put it. Okay, now, I know they're all generalizations. Many of you won't fall into these groups, and it won't be true of you. The point here, I'm not trying to be legalistic, and especially the point here is not for us to judge each other, look sideways, oh, you, you should be doing this, you're in that stage of life. No, no, no. I just want you to see... That at every stage of life, with the people in our church at SWEC, you just need to open your eyes to see how much you've been given. You've been entrusted so much with, right? So much, it can't even be quantified in terms of money. Like you might think $6 million is worth a lot. It's not really, especially in the Sydney's property market. But what you've been given is worth so much more than that. So, what are you doing with it? For your master, Jesus, until he returns. That's a challenge, isn't it? Well, my third point. The parable ends with a master's return and each servant giving an account. Now, the first two servants, we're going to read those verses again, verses 19 to 23. uh, They show their master what they've done. Now, please note, it doesn't matter that one has made more than the other. In fact, the master doesn't even care how much they made. Because you see, his words to them are exactly the same. Uh, It's verse 21 and 23, word for word. What does he say? Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Or literally, come enter into your master's joy. And then, of course, the contrast is with the third servant. Look at verse 24, third servant. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Uh, What's the third servant doing? He's making excuses. But his excuses don't cut it, right? Because his master is going to call him a wicked and lazy servant. Now, please don't feel bad for this guy. Right? In Jesus' story, he clearly is wicked and lazy. Look what he's doing. He's shifting blame, isn't he? He's not taking responsibility for his failure. He's blaming someone. He's blaming his master. A bit like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, this man you put here, this woman you put here with me. Or the snake told me to. Shifting blame. I wonder if you do that. I know I do. So easy to shift blame when we fail, right? It's always someone else's fault. Or maybe it's God's fault. Lord, if you hadn't put this in my life, if you hadn't done this, if I wasn't. He says here, his master is a hard man. But he's also saying his master is a hard man, but not hardworking. And he's essentially saying, I did what I thought you would do, master. Right? You don't like taking risks. You like to make easy money without working, so that's why I didn't take a risk, and I didn't work the money. Right? He's a hard man and not hardworking. Now, of course, his view of his master is completely wrong. I mean, if the master, master didn't take risks, if he was a hard man, if he wasn't hardworking, why would he give $6 million to one of his servants? Right? Just. Which means that our excuses, like this third servant, our excuses say more about us than it does about our master, doesn't it? Have you thought about that? What do your excuses say about your view of your master, Jesus? It's so easy to make excuses now because of COVID and lockdown. Excuses to let our Christian life stall. Excuses for bad behavior for our family members, with our family members. Excuses to be selfish. And of course, it's easy in each stage of life that I talked about to make excuses as well. You're a student. Oh, school and uni's too busy. Oh, I'm I'm too young. No one cares about me. Just let others do it. You're a worker. Oh, now I've got to build up my career. Work's too busy. I can't afford to serve. There's no time. You're single. Oh, if only I was married. or had a partner, then I could. If you're married without kids, oh, I've got to get into the property market now. Family's growing. Got to buy a second car. I want to travel. That's all of my time and money. You're married with kids. Oh, the kids suck up all my time and money, and that's that's it. You're a retiree. Oh, my time and money is finally now mine to enjoy. Don't I deserve it? You see, every time, though, we make an excuse. I don't know how to put it lightly because I think it's what Jesus is saying. Every time we make an excuse, we are blaspheming. You got that? It's blasphemy because we are speaking falsely about God and we're acting out of a false view of God. But instead, what is God actually like? I mean, even in this parable, what is the master like? Isn't he a generous, loving, gracious, empowering master who gives us all we have to use for his glory and his joy? But I want you to notice something about his glory and joy. Remember, the master says, come enter into your master's joy. See, above all else, Jesus wants his people, to share in his joy. Because his joy is our joy. Which means that when we squander our opportunities, when you use them on yourself, when you're lazy and unfaithful, what you're really missing out on is your own greatest joy as well. Now, some of you here know this really well because... I'm just talking to some people here. You know who you are. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I think you know it well because you used to be busy serving God. You used to do everything for Jesus' glory. You went all out for Him. But now you stalled for some reason. You stopped. And you're not happier, are you? And Jesus is not dearer and sweeter to you. And those things that you're pursuing, they've become idols that have ensnared you. They might have given you a temporary kick, but they're not giving you greater joy. If that's you, you would know this well. I hope the Lord is leading you to repent right now. The third servant's punishment as we finish, verse 28. Master says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, I wish I had more time to explain the whole giving more to those who already have, but I won't. But just notice that last verse: weeping and gnashing of teeth. We saw that last week, right? It's a picture of hell. <laughs> you might be thinking this is an overreaction. Now remember, it's a parable. All right, it's a fictional story. It's a story with a sting in the tail trying to get at something. Um, the next parable in Matthew 25 is the sheep and the goats. And it's a little bit like last week's parable that Pastor Don preached on the wheat and the weeds. You remember that one? All of them about a separation. Right? When Jesus returns, there's a separation. What he's saying here is the reality of a person's salvation will be revealed. Are you saved or not? That'll be revealed. Now, again, it's not that what these servants did saved them. It's not salvation by good works. But whether they are saved is revealed by their works or their lack of. Because you remember these faithful servants, the first two, what were they motivated by? They weren't motivated by money-making for themselves, clearly not. They weren't even motivated by financial reward because they didn't know that their master was going to give them such a reward. No, they, they, they simply took joy in their master's joy. That's what, what their motivation was. Now have a think, what kind of a person is motivated by someone else's joy? Friends? Parents? Lovers? I think we all know that in some way, don't we? A person who loves another, really loves another, wants that other person's joy more than their own. These servants were motivated by their love for their master. That's what their motivation is. That is a saved person. Because a saved person loves Jesus. Jesus. And their lives and what they do with that will reveal, will uncover that love. So are you a genuine follower of Jesus? Do you love Him? Now, if you're not, and maybe He's only just revealed to you, maybe today, that you're not. Well, guess what? He he, he invites you to. He is a wonderful master, a master far from being harsh and stingy, He is a master that before anything he wants from you, he firstly gives everything for you. What did he do? He died for you. And he is a master that rose again and he's coming back for you because he wants to welcome you into his eternal kingdom. And he wants you to be his, to belong to him. And you can do that today, by the way. Because to belong to him, to serve him is true freedom. And most of all, for those who follow him, He wants you to enter into His joy, to make His joy yours. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, and that's going to be the majority of you, see, we have now more than ever, probably especially in lockdown, we have a real test, don't we? A real test for our faithfulness. Are you making the most of every minute, every opportunity, every talent? The Lord Jesus has given you. Ours is not to question and begrudge our circumstances, whether it's COVID or struggles or stage of life. Ours is to say, Lord, what will you have me do in this stage of life, in my circumstance, in spite of my struggles? See, that's what being faithful means. And that's what's going to bring you most lasting joy, both now and especially when our Lord Jesus returns. Why don't we pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, you are a good and gracious king, a wonderful master. We're sorry for the times we squandered that for we all have in so many ways and maybe especially because of COVID. Please, by your Holy Spirit, give us such a deep love for you, a powerful motivation to take joy in your joy that for the rest of lockdown, but for the rest of our lives, no matter what stage of life we're in, we might use every, every ounce for your glory. Until you return, we long to hear you say good and faithful servants." Amen. Let's sing.